Our scripture reading comes from Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We've been in the book of Galatians for a couple weeks now, and we'll continue studying Galatians throughout this summer. This is the word of the Lord from Galatians 2, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed to be leaders, I presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so the, go- so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This summer we've been following the word of God through the book of Galatians. And it's this first letter of many of Paul's letters in the New Testament. And he wrote it to the Galatians, a group of Christians that he had visited on his first missionary journey. Now, Paul has been telling them his life story in bits and pieces here and there. And we know some of his story from the book of Acts, too. Uh, Last week, we heard Paul give his testimony about how he was transformed by God. But it's all a bit confusing, and you may not be quite sure where we are in the story. So let me quick summarize it for you. See, Paul was a Jew born in this city of Tarsus, a city on the southern coast of Turkey, and he was well-educated in the Jewish way. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He knew the law, he knew the scriptures, he knew all the rules, and he kept all of them. But somehow, maybe around the time of Jesus' death, he became a, a fanatic. Maybe it was seeing all these Jews become followers of the way of Jesus. Maybe it was the Pharisees and priests who became followers of the way Uh, We don't know, but suddenly he becomes this persecutor of the way of Jesus. And he watches over the brutal stoning of Stephen one day, uh, and then he was one of the first deacons, Stephen was. And then he helped to drive the believers out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and beyond. He tried to hunt them down where they fled. And then uh, he got permission to even arrest believers in Damascus, the city quite far, maybe a week's journey away from Jerusalem. And on his way there, he met Jesus, uh, shining like light and with a voice loud like thunder, and he was struck blind. And he heard Jesus say, uh, Saul, Saul, whom are you persecuting? It's me. And then Jesus sent him to Damascus where he met Ananias, a a prophet who came bravely to this persecutor of the church and and preached to him and, and heard his story and healed his blindness. 
And uh, then Paul began to meet the other believers in Damascus and started preaching the gospel in the synagogues. And he got into trouble pretty quickly and they kicked him out of town, the, 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 the Jews did. And off he went into the desert of Arabia for probably several years. We don't know what he did in the desert. Maybe he studied the word and prayed and preached. Uh, but after his desert journey, he came back to Damascus and then went to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he met up with uh, Peter and James. Uh, it was kind of a social visit, it seems. And then he went back home. He went home to his home region of Antioch and Tarsus uh, along the coast of Turkey. And there he, he preached the gospel. He perhaps went on some missionary journeys. We find that meeting, every, meeting Jesus changed everything for Paul. And the, the church in Antioch grew really quickly. It became this big multicultural center of the Christian faith. There were believers from all nations, and they started sending out missionaries to preach the gospel. And that's how Paul and Barnabas went to the island of Crete and then inland up into Turkey to the region of Galatia, where Paul helped plant some churches there. Now, we pick it up here about 14 years later after Paul had converted. He comes home to Antioch, and he finds there's trouble brewing in town. People have come from Jerusalem saying that any follower of Jesus must obey all the Jewish law. That believing the good news of Jesus Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit isn't enough. They have to be circumcised too. And Paul is furious at these false preachers. They aren't preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. No, they're preaching bad news. They're telling people that their faith is not enough, that they have to do something, this little thing, in order to get over the finish line of salvation. It was dividing the church. Like, how could Jewish and non-Jewish Christians worship together? How could they share the Lord's Supper? How could they eat a meal together if they couldn't agree on this? And the church in Antioch wrestled with this question because they were convinced that the grace of Jesus Christ was enough for them. Even them, the Gentiles among them. God had welcomed them into his family. They'd received the Holy Spirit. And with this spirit-filled revelation, they sent a group of believers to Jerusalem. To, to settle the matter. So Paul and Barnabas went, along with others like Titus, uh, a Christian who hadn't even grown up in a Jewish family. And when they got to Jerusalem, they asked for a private meeting with the leaders. Now, by this time, most of the original 12 uh, disciples of Jesus had been killed. A few of them were still alive. So some of the leaders now included people like James, a brother of Jesus, who wasn't a disciple. Now, notice in verse 2 that Paul calls them those esteemed or those reputed to be the leaders of the church. The Antioch church wants to solve this matter privately with a, a private meeting. They don't want to make a big controversy about what's going on. They, they want to deal with this problem privately. And the church has already struggled with these ethnic tensions between Jews and Greeks uh, remember back in Acts two or Acts four a couple weeks ago, where we heard about the the conflict between the Jewish and Greek widows over getting enough food, and the way the church solved it was by appointing deacons to serve the people. Uh, Paul wanted to make sure that his preaching among the Gentiles wasn't pointless. He's already been on at least one missionary journey up to Galatia. He doesn't want to run this race in vain, and that's why they go to Jerusalem to resolve the question. Do the Gentile believers have to become Jews? Well, Paul knows the answer. And, and the answer that they get from the leaders is clear too. No, they don't. Not even Titus, who was a Jew, who, who wasn't a Jew, was pressured to become a Jew in order to, become, uh, to, to meet with the leaders. And if they were serious about requiring that Christians be circumcised, they would have required it of Titus right then and there on that trip. But they didn't. Point one for the Antioch church. 
But apparently, people were watching these Antioch Christians as they went to Jerusalem. Uh, Paul says that spies infiltrated their group. They wanted to see what they said and did. They wanted to see if they abused their freedom in Jesus Christ. In other words, they wanted to see if these Christians broke any Jewish laws and called them out for it. And Paul does not like that one bit. He calls that slavery. He thinks that the truth of the gospel is at stake in this question. See, the the undeserved favor and grace of Jesus Christ comes through faith alone, thinks Paul. Uh, the, The great hero of the Reformation, Luther, says this in his commentary of Galatians. It comes down to the truth of the gospel versus a false gospel. It's either faith alone or you have to do something to deserve God's grace. One of those is good news and the other one is not. And anything added to the gospel of grace is false. Now, adding something to the gospel is a surprisingly common problem today. See, adding something to the good news of Jesus Christ makes it a false gospel. False gospels divide the church. Uh, They they take a second or a third level issue and make it the main thing. And they end up ignoring the main thing, which is Jesus Christ. And instead of being united in mission, Christians bicker among each other about uh, less important things. This time of year, for example, is often a time when Christian churches have these big meetings where we try to decide things together. The the Christian Reformed Church isn't having our annual synod gathering this year, mainly because our uh, Canadian brothers and sisters uh, can't have difficulty crossing the border at this time. So the Council of Delegates is meeting instead, uh, some 60-some people who gather together to meet on behalf of synod when they can't meet. And a lot of energy goes into these meetings, And we should pray for them as they meet because we want the Spirit to give them wisdom and keep them pointed at the main thing, which is Jesus Christ. The same goes for other churches. The the Methodist Church had a big meeting last week. Uh, I hear the Southern Baptists are having their annual convention next week. Uh, You may not not know much about the Southern Baptists, but they are the biggest Christian denomination in this country. They have about 14 million members in their churches. Uh, And you may not have been to a Southern Baptist church, but you've probably read a book from Lifeway or done a Bible study called The The Purpose Driven Life or or read some other book, uh, maybe done a Bible study by Beth Moore. All of these came out of the Southern Baptist denomination. And the Southern Baptists are currently dealing with a lot of problems. They've, they've got a big problem with racism in their churches and also with sexual abuse by church leaders uh, that, that they need to deal with. So we need to pray for our Southern Baptist brothers and sisters, too, that, that God guides them by his spirit and keeps them pointed at the main thing, Jesus Christ. Now, I've noticed in these meetings that the, the harshest, the worst thing a Christian can say to another brother or sister is that they're, they're adding to the gospel, that they're preaching a false gospel. Of course, it depends how you define the gospel. Uh, if it's only, Jesus saves me from my sins so I can go to heaven, well, that's not the whole story. You're missing something. Remember when Jesus preached the gospel, what he said was, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Or when when Stephen, that deacon, preached the gospel, what he said was, the good news of the kingdom of God and Jesus' name. As I've said before, when you read the Bible, a good question to ask is, what is the gospel? What is the good news according to this text? And it seems clear to me that that division and uh, racism and sexual abuse are are, are anti-gospel, that God's kingdom has no clear place for these that Jesus' name frees us from these sins, and yet they still clearly happen in the church. 
even in our church. And we Reformed Christians have a name for that. We call it total depravity. We believe that sin deeply affects human beings and everything we do. And for Paul, it all comes down to freedom versus slavery. Later in Galatians chapter 5, he's going to shout it out, for freedom Christ has set us free. He's deeply concerned about anything that adds to the gospel because to him that means slavery. And Paul brings this question of the Antioch church before those esteemed leaders of the church. He respects them, but he also knows the true gospel. He's going to do the right thing no matter what they say, but he wants to get them on board too. He wants to be united in the gospel with them. And in verse 6, he again calls them those who were held in high esteem, these respectable ones, the elders and apostles. But clearly, he thinks that God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't care, and neither does Paul about those people respected as leaders. No, the important thing is the gospel message. And they had nothing to add to it. They recognized that what Paul was preaching was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the same gospel that they had heard from Jesus' lips and that they were preaching too. And so the solution they came up to this problem was to divide territories. Paul could preach among the Gentiles and Peter could preach among the Jews because they could see that God was at work in both. That God's spirit was at work bringing in the Gentiles, bringing them to faith by God's grace without the works of the law. And God's work was, God was at work among the Jews, bringing them to faith by God's grace, despite their works of the law. God was at work both in Peter and in Paul. And finally, Paul names those who were esteemed as leaders, James, Peter, and John. And he says that they shook hands on this decision. They welcomed them into full fellowship. And they probably shared the Lord's Supper, not to mention other meals during this visit. Now, Paul names them to show the Galatians that he's serious, that he's backed up by the leaders in Jerusalem, but also to show that they are not the ultimate authority. The gospel of Jesus Christ is. And they all stand below and pointed to that gospel. And then Peter reminds us, too, that that gospel, by the way, includes remembering the poor. That would mean those poor Jewish believers in Judea and Jerusalem Paul says he was eager to do this all along, and he proves it years later by bringing back these gifts from the Gentile churches to support the poor. Now, generally, in the early church, the the Jewish believers in, in Judea and Jerusalem were quite poor, and the Gentile churches scattered around the Mediterranean were quite wealthy. Now, this was another layer in the, the already complicated relationships in the multicultural early church. Now, one one commentary says that this decision to divide territories uh, between uh, with Paul to the Gentiles and Peter to the Jews seemed good at the time. But anytime Christians solve a problem by dividing territory, it just pushes the conflict somewhere into the future. From this moment onward, the church grew much more rapidly among the Gentiles because there were more of them than among the Jews. And pretty soon, the Gentiles outnumbered the Jews many times over, And the Jewish believers were were slowly sidelined. And Jerusalem declined in importance, and other cities became Christian centers, like Antioch and Istanbul and Rome and Ephesus. And if this was a solution to the conflict, well, it was the right one. But it was, sadly, the beginning of the end for the Jewish Christian church. But if the goal was unity, then focusing on the common gospel was the key 
See, both Paul and Peter agreed to preach the same gospel, that the grace of Jesus Christ redeems a group of people for God's kingdom, that the mission of the church, uh, and they were united in this mission, and as long as they were united, they were one. Now, God's church today is united when we focus on the same mission, uh, the good news of Jesus' name and God's kingdom. Mission unites God's church. And any time we take our eyes off of that one gospel uh, we share and preach, I think we get lost in division. I, I've seen this most clearly on the mission field. When, when we had one group, one church, one group of Christians with which to worship, we were proclaiming and focused on proclaiming the good news. Now we had our minor disagreements, but we needed each other for worship and for mission. Next week, we'll hear our, our missionary, Ben Meyer, preach. Uh, and Ben Meyer and his wife Amy have lived in Guadalajara, Mexico for about 10 years. And they're coming back to the U.S. Uh, from this ministry of church planting to continue it uh, through an organization called Multiplication Ministries based out of Grand Rapids. We'll hear Ben preach the good news to us and share some stories of their ministry. And I'm sure as we hear those stories, we'll see how the importance of unity in the church, being focused on the mission, the gospel, is essential. Because the, Paul, the Apostle Paul here wants the Galatians to focus on the essentials. He wants the whole Christian church, Jews and Gentiles alike, to be focused on the same gospel, the good news and the grace of Jesus Christ. Anything less, anything more, anything different from this is a false gospel, a non-gospel, not good news at all. And Paul tells his story here about going to the leaders, about working through conflict and coming to this agreement. Because the gospel is about this. Jesus redeems a people for God's kingdom. It is the main thing. It is the only thing that matters. So let us preach the gospel, dear friends of Jesus Christ, knowing that it is Jesus who has his church. It is Jesus who guides his church through conflict and confusion and division to come back to the essential truth of the gospel. I believe, brothers and sisters, that uh, the church in North America in the next couple decades is facing a difficult time a time of, of winnowing, a time of strengthening, a time of returning to the essential gospel truth. And as long as we're pointed to the word of God, as long as we're centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it is God who will guide us and lead us through whatever comes. Even if the church grows smaller through this time, it will be stronger and more prepared to carry on the good news of Jesus Christ. Because it is Jesus' church, and Jesus has got us in his hands. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh God, we trust in your provision for your church, that you have given us Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and his word, the gospel, the good news of your kingdom. And we pray that we may faithfully preach this gospel, that we may be united in the essential gospel truth, that we may work with other Christians, uh, wh whoever they may be, as long as we can agree on this one thing. We pray that you will guide us as a church as we work through these times, that you call us to faithfulness, that you help us to, by your spirit, examine our hearts and see where we've added to the gospel. Winnow us down to the essentials. Focus us on the point, which is Jesus Christ, that we may be his kingdom people in the world. Strengthen us, we pray. Give us hope and endurance and faith. And we trust that you are working good in our midst th through this we pray that you may give us words to preach the gospel in and out of season, that we may do so uh, faithfully, knowing that you are guiding us by your Holy Spirit. 
We pray this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel word of Jesus Christ with a hymn that speaks of of the essentials, the cross of Jesus. Uh, We'll sing all seven verses of Lift High the Cross.